good morning and welcome to Water and Stone. My name is Dieter Randolph and uh, I'm the lead pastor around here. I'm, it's a wonderful thing to be getting into the Christmas season. And here in Florida, where, where I am, I don't know where you are watching this, but here in Florida, it's actually starting to cool off a little bit. And it's an amazing thing that we're getting to experience that feeling of Christmas is coming. And even if it weren't a particularly crazy year, I think that sometimes it's hard to figure out what that means. I mean, there's a sense of urgency. Okay, Christmas is coming. Are you ready for Christmas? And it doesn't just mean, have you gotten all your shopping done? It doesn't just mean those things. It doesn't just mean the obligatory things, which can be wonderful too. But we know when we ask each other, when we ask ourselves, are you ready for Christmas? There's something else going on. I think we know in our hearts that there's something big about to happen. Maybe in not too different a way from the shepherds and the wise men and Mary and everybody else knew that I don't know what all of this means, but there's something wonderful and mysterious and maybe a little bit scary, but undoubtedly wonderful about to happen. And I invite you to take some of the pressure off yourself and understand that you don't have to understand what all of this means. You don't have to know everything that you need to do in order to fulfill someone else's expectation of getting ready for Christmas. It's enough to know that, you know what? It's time for a new birth. It's time for something new, revolutionary, wonderful to happen. And whatever I'm doing, whatever you're doing in the course of your day, ask yourself, am I getting ready for something wonderful? Because something wonderful is on its way. And with that in mind, let's start our service today by sharing in our opening prayer. God is and I am. I stand on holy ground. Right here and right now, there is truth. Right here and right now, there is freedom. Right here and right now, there is life. This is who I am. I am ready. From now on, I speak the truth. From now on, I choose freedom. From now on, this is my life. The unstoppable love of God prepares the way. I am ready. Amen. So our scripture today comes from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And you can imagine what's going on in this story. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. You know about the, the stories of the three wise guys who, uh, who came and did that. You've seen all the Christmas specials. It's usually part of the nativity scenes that some people have in their living room or on the front yard. You know the deal. And I think that it's a wonderful thing to take a minute and think about those, those magi, those wise men, because remember with me, one of the key concepts that we talk about a lot when we talk about Bible interpretation is this. Remember this? We said there are no wasted words. And we talked about that a few weeks ago, but the basic idea is that every word in here 
has stood the test of time. Somebody fought for every word. Somebody cared about every word. Somebody loved every word. And it might be that some of the words are hard to understand and hard to put into context and all that, but they're there for a reason. And so, by extension, every event, every situation, and every character in the Bible is there for a reason, is there to teach you something. And so, let's start our uh, journey today with the understanding that the wise men are not just there to fill out the picture frame. There's something more going on there. Now, if you know your story, you know that there's something really important about the way that this works. Last week, we talked a little bit about the shepherds. Remember? And the angel appears to the shepherds, and they were afraid, and the angel says, don't be afraid, just hang out, it's going to be all right, you know, that whole thing. And so it's interesting, one of our little lessons that we can just touch on really quickly is that whether you are just going about your business like the shepherds, or whether you are opening yourself up through study and devotion like the magi, one way or the other, the angel appears, the miracle appears, one way or the other, the sign will present itself. And this is good news, because one of the things that I want you to know is it's a beautiful thing to be looking for your sign. You should be. And like we say, if God's everywhere, everything's a sign, let's get good at this. But at the same time, I don't want you to feel the spiritual stress of, am I doing it right? Am I speaking in a way that God will understand? Because trust me, God gets it. It's kind of God's job. One of the side lessons here is whether you're just going about your business with an open heart and pure intentions, or whether you have made your business finding the signs, looking for God. Either way, the signs will come. Your job is to do something about it, as we always say. And so take the pressure off a little bit. One of the things that I want you to remember is in and through every single moment of Scripture, every single event, every single situation, every single character in the Bible is along with a historical lesson, along with a moral lesson, along with everything else. It is also something happening in you. There is a part of you that is those shepherds, and there is a part of you that is those wise men. And you think to yourself when you read that story, boy, I'd like to be like those guys, you know, that they can see the sign in the stars and know what it means. I, I, I wish that I could do that. I'd like to be like those guys. And remember, if you really know the story, the wise men see the sign and they go to see King Herod. They don't know he's a bad guy yet. And they say, hey, where's this new king? And Herod goes, ooh, new king, huh? And you can imagine, Herod's not crazy about this idea. You know his story a little bit at least. And he goes, hey, you know, you should find this new king you're talking about. And then when you find him, let me know where he is, because, you know, I've got some plans for him, too. <laughs> and the Magi, they find Jesus, and we'll talk about what happens in that nativity moment in a minute. But they realize after all of that that there's a problem going back to Herod. He might not be such a great king after all. And so the Bible says they went home another way because they were smart enough and open enough to know that love doesn't go back to Herod. 
And so, once again, it, it's a wonderful thing to read those stories and go, man, I wish I was like that. I, I wish I could just see the signs and do the right thing. I wish I knew when to go home the regular way and when to go home another way, so to speak. I wish I could do that. And what I want you to know today, and one of the things that we're going to be talking about and working on together through the course of the lesson today is you are like that. And you can be more like that, and your life will get better as a result if you just lean in to that magi, that wise man or woman, part of yourself. Because it's there, or it wouldn't be in the Bible. That's interesting. It's there, or it wouldn't be in the Bible. It's in you, or it wouldn't be in the book. Good to know. And so think about it with me. What are some of the defining characteristics of the magi? And we'll talk about a bunch of those in due course, but right now the thing I want you to think about is what we know about them is that they study, they learn, they have devoted themselves to study. And this is an important thing because remember last week we talked about the idea that the bad guy in the story is the one who doesn't read. The bad guy, the evil king, remember we talked about this, they're the ones who don't know their history and don't care to know, who don't want to study. But put another way, if you are the kind of person who studies, you're the kind of person who is open to lessons that are bigger than you are. I mean, think about the act of being educated. If you study something, what you're saying is, you know what? I have room for answers that are beyond my ego. My self-esteem isn't wrapped up in knowing everything. My self-esteem comes from being open to new lessons. It's important to live like a student. How important is it to you that you know everything? versus how important is it to you that you are open, that sometimes you learn things the hard way, sometimes you make mistakes, but you learn. There's something beautiful about having that kind of beginner's mind, as they say, student mind. And that's what the Magi have. As wise as they are, their wisdom comes from an openness. That's the defining characteristic. And being open means you know it when you see it. No, oh, you've got that, don't you? Think about your life. You've had moments when you knew it, when you saw it. Lean in and you'll have more of those moments. And so the Magi recognize that here is this baby in this manger. And they don't just recognize, they do something about it, right? They travel there for one thing. And you know what else they do. What is the, the purpose of the Magi in the story if it's not just to fill out the picture frame? They come bearing gifts. Remember that? This is important too. Remember, no wasted words, no wasted motions in the Bible. <laughs> Ask yourself, if you were in that situation, if you knew with all the certainty that there is, if you knew with the same knowledge that you know you're alive, that you know when you're in love, if you just knew that here is Jesus, here is the Messiah, the King, and it's your job to bring a present What would you bring? You know, some of us have trouble even showing up for an office party with the right gift. What would you bring? Think about it. And think about it for a couple of reasons. One of the reasons is if God is everywhere, then every single person you meet is a child of God, and every single person you meet deserves your praise. So ask yourself, another side lesson, what is the gift that I bring to this moment, this interaction, this introduction? First impressions matter. What are you bringing? Hmm, interesting, something to think about. But we know what the, uh, what the Magi brought, don't we? You know, gold and frankincense and myrrh. 
And what we know is those are the kinds of gifts that you give to royalty. Now, it might seem like a funny thing to give these things to a kid. Babies aren't especially interested in gold and frankincense and myrrh, right? And especially interesting given that here is a king who, you know, if you do the physical genealogy, it doesn't really work. You know, we want, we want you know, someone sitting on a throne living in a palace, right? It's funny because here are these royal gifts in the barn. I love the fact that you could never say, what were you born in the barn to Jesus? But that's a separate issue. And it's easy when you know the, the, the gifts that the Magi brought and you know how special they were. It's so common for people to pull the cheap joke. The cheap joke of going, wow, you know, if they were really wise, they'd have brought diapers and baby food and blankets and, you know, that kind of stuff. If they were really wise, how come they brought that? And I get it. It's kind of funny. It's not really all that funny, especially because I've heard it a million times and so have you. But it's also not really funny because it completely misses the point. You want to get the point spiritually and, you know, really, if you want to be like the Magi, that's kind of the thing. The Magi are those who get the point. <laughs> that's what it means to be a wise man or a wise woman or whatever. You want to get the point in your life. Here you go. This is something to write down if you're writing things down. Stop making spiritual things physical. Stop boiling things down to what your ego can handle. Look, you know, I suppose it is a good thing to bring practical gifts to a baby shower or whatever, but this isn't a baby shower, guys. And what we know about Jesus is that he's really good at handling the practical things. Feeding the multitudes, for example. He's got that. He doesn't need you for that. The Magi's gifts are incredibly appropriate, far more appropriate and necessary than diapers because they recognize the spiritual nature of this moment. Think about that. Think about your own relationships, because there are some times when it's very tempting to go, I did my part as a husband or a wife or a partner or whatever because I paid the bills. Is that really what you got married for, is to, to have a financial partnership? I did what I'm supposed to do. I'm a good parent. You survived childhood. Well, that ain't it, right? Think about your relationships. Are you fulfilling the physical need, which is fine, but it ain't why you're there? Or are you fulfilling the idea of a spiritual nature? Are you taking care of and nurturing and praising something bigger? Remember, we're all God's children. So the people in your life deserve your gold and your frankincense and your myrrh, so to speak. Stop making spiritual things physical things. And I say that because there's a thing I want to talk about now. And I want to be real careful because it's going to sound in a minute like I'm making fun of something and I want you to know that that's not really my intention. And I want you to know that if this is something that you do, I'm not making fun of you. I love you. And in fact, if you watch what I do, I do so many things that are far more subject to ridicule, far easier to make fun of. I am just as guilty of all kinds of goofy stuff. So I'm not saying that. If the shoe fits for what I'm about to say, I want you to know that I love you. 
It's not about that, but there is something that I feel led to point out. Okay, are we good? I want to talk about making spiritual things physical because one of the things that I see a lot on uh, Instagram, Facebook, social media kind of stuff, anywhere where people can post a picture, is what I call altar brags. Altar brags. And what it is is someone will post a picture of, here is my, my altar, you know, my, my thing. And they've got a place in their house where they've got like some candles and a feather and a crystal and some sage and a book, maybe a little statue of something or other. They've got a, an American Express card. You know, they've got things that are, that are spiritual to them, right? And for a long time, I would see those because I don't know if you're like me, but I've got a lot of friends who do that. And once again, if you're one of those friends, I love you. I really, really do. And watch my Instagram feed. There's a lot of things that you can make fun of. But those pictures, those altar brag pictures really, really bothered me. I used to just, oh, just don't, if there was an opposite of a like button, I'd click on it. You know, it's, it's one of those kinds of things. And I never really understood why. And I started thinking about it. And I felt a little bit bad about my reaction. I mean, I never said anything, never did anything. I didn't unfriend anybody because of an altar brag post or anything like that. But there was a part of me that said, you know what, you shouldn't feel so weird about that. I mean, after all, it's a spiritual practice. Even if it's not your spiritual practice, it's not a big deal. And there's a part of me that said, you know, that's it. That's the thing. It's not spiritual. These are physical objects. They're not spiritual objects. There's no such thing as a spiritual object. Think about it. And in fact, the act of photographing something turns it into a physical transaction. I guess what I'm trying to say is stop trying to take pictures and document how spiritual you are. The wise men aren't important because they got fancy outfits. Think about it. Think about this with me. Can you imagine Jesus posting a picture of all of his spiritual paraphernalia? How is a picture of how much cool stuff you have any different than a picture of how fancy your car is? Or put it another way, if you require those things for comfort, how is it different than a picture of your teddy bear? Look, I'm a fan of teddy bears too, as long as you know that that's what it is. So I'm not telling you that you're bad for posting the pictures of your, your altar and stuff like that. If that brings you comfort, great. The world could use a little bit more comfort. But I am asking you to understand that through the course of documenting a, a thing, it stops being spiritual and it becomes physical. It's no different than thinking the three wise men should have brought Tupperware. It's not really the point, is it? But that's not even the whole thing. The thing that bothers me, I suppose, is that you want to be spiritual. Make it simple. Once again, Jesus didn't have any gear. He didn't. Didn't require it. And in fact, over and over again, he preached against that over and over again. He said, you know, you don't need a bunch of stuff. It's you and God. Be that because you're great just as you are. Doesn't matter how much gear you got from the bookshop, you know? Interesting. And it makes me think of a story from a million miles away. It's a story that, that I've actually seen a lot of other people go through in their workplaces, but it's also something that I experienced firsthand where I was working. I worked, you know, I have a day job. I do computer stuff. And I was in a situation where the, 
the powers that be in the company said, you know, no one really reads their email. Emails just pile up and people don't act on them with any kind of efficiency. It takes forever to get a response when you send an email. People don't read their emails. So we're gonna get this new thing. You still gotta check your email and you really should do that. You got all your emails and stuff like that. But we're gonna do this new thing where you can message people immediately and people can respond right then. And so we got this new thing. So now we got to check our email and now we got to check this new thing. And then before too long, there was another thing. Well, you know what? People don't check that all the time. And so we need another place where people can put documents and share them back and forth and talk that way. And you can check those messages too. And then before too long, it was like an arms race where every single time there was a thing that people didn't look at, the, the powers that be introduced a brand new way to communicate, a brand new inbox. And as I said, I experienced this firsthand, but I've seen it happen in a lot of companies. I mean, any, any article about office productivity and inboxes will talk about that same arms race of, of ever, ever increasing ways to get interrupted. But what I experienced firsthand is this. This is something that, that is another thing to write down. And it doesn't seem spiritual right now, but I promise it is. If you wanna write something down, here's something to write down. Your productivity is inversely proportional to the number of inboxes you have. Your productivity is inversely proportional to the number of inboxes you have. In other words, the more places you've got to look for a message, the less productive you are because you're spending more time trying to make sure that you caught the ball and threw it back. And those interruptions add up. You spend all your day uh, catching up with your messages in whatever form. And what we found in our workplace is that the more of those things we had, the less work got done, but it looked efficient. And that was enough for a while, but we started to realize it was silly and we started to pare back down. It's like that. Now, like I said, that doesn't sound too spiritual. It's a great work tip. Reduce your number of inboxes if you want to get work done. But think about this with me. An altar is an inbox. If you've got a special place that you have to go and you only get God there, that's an inbox. If it only happens for you when you're wearing a certain outfit or you got certain music playing, that's an inbox. And there are lots of spiritual people, people with good hearts who are just trying to figure it out, who have so many inboxes that they can never get any kind of a sign from God because they're too busy checking some other inbox. The quality that the Magi represent is the quality of seeing the sign and doing something about it, right? You want to be like that, find a way to reduce your inboxes. Find a way to simplify. You know, we talk about the idea that it's, it's so sweet that Jesus was born in a manger. We talk about the idea that that sweet simplicity just makes it an even better story, you know? And it does, it's true, it's a nice dramatic element, but like I said, no wasted words, no fluff. That ain't why he was born in a manger. It's easy to go, isn't it a beautiful thing that this amazing king of kings was born in such simple circumstances? And we love that. It seems quirky, it seems quaint, right? But given what we just said about inboxes, given what Jesus goes on to say about the importance of simplicity, given the fact that over and over and over again, when you had something spiritual happen in your life, it wasn't because you had a lot of paraphernalia, it was because you let go of something. I would argue that Jesus is born in the manger because he had to be. There's no other place where he 
He could have been born. He had to be born in this place of simplicity. It's the only way that this can happen. And it's the only way that it can happen for you. You want that message, you want that miracle, you want that healing, you want that? Reduce your inboxes, simplify, find a manger moment, a wild, simple place in your heart. That's how to be open to this. The Magi go out into the wilderness and see the star. Maybe you should too. There's a way to be simple. And, and we know that that's an important virtue. I mean, there are lots of people who go, you know, I like the simple life. I don't need to have things complicated. And we talk about how nice that is. It's so funny that in our culture, we, we think, well, I want the simple life. And what I need is a $200 barn jacket and a special pocket knife and this vintage hat that, would, that, that uh, you know, Ralph Waldo Emerson would have worn. And now I look like I'm living the simple life for $1,000 or whatever. We paraphernalia eyes our stuff, and I get it. But the truth is, you don't have to want the simple life because life's already simple. You know, think about it. The sun comes up, the sun goes down, the grass grows, the weather changes, you grow. Life is already simple. The only things that are complicated aren't the things that God gave you. They're the things that we give ourselves that get in the way of God. Life is already simple. And so we ask ourselves, well, then why the complexity? Why do I feel like I got to buy all the stuff and do all this stuff? And there's a lot of answers to that question. I think that complexity is convenient. Because here's the thing, life is simple. That doesn't mean that it is easy. Sometimes it's really hard to face what needs to be faced, to grow through something that needs to be grown through, to, to deal with some hurt and find love through the adversity of it all. That can be challenging, and it requires accountability and responsibility and dramatic desire for growth, and those things can ask a lot. I get it. And so sometimes... People introduce complexity because it's a lot easier. They go, well, you know, I would write the great American novel, but you know, these kids, or this job, I would do the thing, I would, I'd be a truthful person, but the world is so full of lies. Well, how are you contributing to that world of truth? It's easy, I suppose. Maybe not easy, let's say convenient to add complexity onto a situation because it means we don't have to actually deal with whatever it is that we know we should deal with. You can spend all day crafting an email and the term paper you're supposed to write doesn't get written. It's easy to add complexity to dodge the situation, but it is a dodge. But the good news is that we all get to that place where the complexity doesn't help. We all get to that place where just like in The Wizard of Oz, there's that wonderful moment where Toto tears back the curtain and there's the guy. You know, all the complexity goes away and we're forced to deal with the truth of the situation in one way or another. Remember with me that this whole series is about changing our response. Remember last week we talked about the idea that, that an adult's uh, default response to the unknown, to adventure, is fear, and a child's response to adventure is hope. And this whole series is about changing our reaction from a dark reaction to a light reaction. Remember, that's what this is all about. 
And I was talking about that with, with Jenny, my wife, and she said, you know, I think people hide in complexity. I think that the reason that people go to a dark place when things happen is because they're hiding in the dark. And I think there's something really true about that. I think that a lot of times we respond with what we think we are. We respond with what we think we are. And so I'm going to ask you right now, if you feel like you're hiding in the dark, ask yourself, what brings light? Find those things. What brings light? Find those things. Live those things. Explore those things. Because we respond with, with who we think we are. And you know, it's really easy to identify with the problem. And we talk about that a lot because it's a very common problem. Oh, I am nothing without all of my pain. And that's the next step when we add complexity, when we blame the situation, the job, the family, the kids, the money, the, the whatever it is. We blame that for not doing the thing that we know we are put on earth to do. The next step beyond blame is identification. I am this adversity. I am this problem. And you and I both know that you can identify with hardship and milk that to death, literally. You know exactly what I mean. But you don't want to go down that road anymore. You know where it leads. You can also identify with the solution. Like I said, and this is the point of the whole thing, we respond to our situations with who we think we are. If you think you're no good, you're going to have a no good response because that's what we show the world. That's the card we keep drawing. But what I want you to know is that you get to decide who you think you are. And so let's go back to it. I mean, what are those magi qualities? When you think of the, the wise men, you think of the fact that they've got the nicest outfits in the whole nativity scene. But that's not what makes them unique. There's lots of people in the Bible with good gear. They are wise and learned, but there are other wise and learned people in the Bible, right? That's not entirely it either. They travel a long way to see Jesus, but there's lots of travelers in the Bible. What makes the wise men the wise men? What's the magic about the magi? And I think that what's special about them has to do with the study, and it has to do with the travel, and it has to do with the fact that they've got gifts to give, but you've got all those things too. I think that the thing that makes them so special is when they get to the manger, this simple situation, this baby who doesn't have bodyguards and an entourage, that it's okay with them. Now think about it. That might seem like no big deal, but that is everything. The thing that makes the Magi magic is that they can accept the Christ. The thing that makes the Magi magic, the wise men wise, is that when they see Jesus in the manger, it's okay with them. They accept him. Oh, it's a great thing to see the signs, but the signs are everywhere. Can you accept the signs? It's a great thing to realize that if God is everywhere, it's all a miracle. Can you accept a miracle? Can you accept hope? Can hope be okay with you? That seems like a no-brainer, but think about it. There's a lot of people for whom hope is not okay with them. 
They've got some reason, some complexity, some inbox malfunction that prevents them from seeing good where it is. Can hope be okay with you? Get to a place where it can. Some small way, that's fine. Start small if you gotta start small, but start somewhere with the idea that this is what makes me wise, this is what makes me magic, is that I'm okay with health and healing and miracles and a functional life. I'm okay with the idea that in the simplest situation, and it does require simplicity, like I said, your homework this week and maybe from now on, is to reduce inboxes, to step away from complexity and face something with honesty and purity. Strip away some of the armor and some of the safeguards because it's you and it's God. It's going to be all right. God's got this because God's got you. What if you didn't have to defend yourself? What if you didn't have to make excuses anymore? What if you could just be? And like I said, whether you're a shepherd or a magi, it comes to you one way or the other. Whether you're a shepherd or a magi or whatever else, you're going to get to a time when the complexity doesn't work. The inboxes aren't the answer. You're going to get to a time when there is no room at the end. It's full of all of the baloney. And you will come to a simple place where there's just a baby. There's just purity. There's just hope. And the question that will make all the difference in your life is, is that okay with you? And when you get to the place where you can answer yes, you will be magic, and you will be wise, and you will be free. Because after all, freedom is a choice. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much for being here with me through these lessons. Thank you so much for celebrating Christmas in this wonderful, quirky way that we are. I just love it. I want to remind you that you've got special homework as we prepare for the last Sunday of the month. We have a special Christmas observance. Nice generic words, but here's your homework. Please take it very seriously. I want you to send me pictures of your light. And I'm going to remind you over and over again, but it's going to be here before you know it. So please get going on this. Take pictures of your light and send them to me. What does that mean? Well, if you've got Christmas lights, that's great. If you want to take a picture of yourself lighting a candle, that's great. It's got to be something about your light. And some people say, well, I don't want to be in a picture. That's fine. Just send me a picture of the candle. I'd rather that you're in it. But if you're not, you're not. But send me those pictures because we're going to do something that we can all share together. And it's going to be pretty great. But in the meantime, I want to thank you for all that you do to support this ministry. Thank you so much for sharing these posts. Sharing is, is an amazing thing that you can do. It costs you nothing, and it makes all the difference in the world for us. If you want to support this church financially, and frankly, we're counting on you to do that, you can go to donate.waterandstonechurch.com. Let's take those gifts of love and substance and hold them in our minds and hold them in our hearts as we bless our offering together. God is my source, my unending supply. With this gift, I carry my gratitude into action. God's blessings flow through me and fill my world. I give and I live with radical joy. And so it is and so it does. Amen. 
And I want to remind you that wherever you are, whenever you're watching this, you're not alone because around here we pray as a family. Let's celebrate our oneness with our dedication prayer. God, I'm ready for change. My heart is open. I'm not afraid anymore. My life is in peace and on purpose. In the name and nature of Jesus Christ, amen. Now go show the world what love looks like today. Hey, this is Dieter Randolph, and I just want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the lesson and hopefully for taking some time to apply what we talked about in your life. That's where this really happens. I love the idea that church isn't something that happens to you, but rather something that happens through you. What you do based on what you've heard can change your life and really change the world. This is just the beginning of a bigger journey. And if you want to continue your journey with us, I'd love for you to like and subscribe us on YouTube or you can watch the videos. Come join us in person. Our street address and all kinds of information is at our website, waterandstonechurch.com. All of that sort of thing. If you want to give electronically, that's where to do it. If you want to connect with us on social media, and you really should do that there, waterandstonechurch.com. Thank you for being a part of this work.